If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites according to a recent Indeed survey. With Indeed, everything hiring is all in one place and it makes it so easy. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences each day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. The more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join the more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Indeed.com slash podcast. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey folks, welcome to the Unsung Podcast. Uh, this week, you're joined by your usual three hosts. Ta, 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 ta. Excuse me. This week, you're joined by Mark Fraser of the Curator Podcast, David John Weaver of Detour Scotland, and I don't know, Chris Cusack. I used to work in Summerfield. <laughs> uh, so are you trying to say that we're a super group or are we're you a super pod are you super saying that we are the best of the best we are the unsung super pod yeah we are us. but yeah uh super groups super spectacular groups in some cases super underwhelming groups in other cases many what, cases what we, yeah <laughs> so this this is officially a mixtape because normally well i mean who are we just in case there's, we've connected with new, you know, 16 to 24 audiences being all, uh, you know, Super League and everything. Um, what do we normally do and why is this different, Mark? Uh, <laughs> great. Um, so, <laughs> thanks, Dave. Uh, we are, we are, we're a super pod from Glasgow and uh, we like to talk about records that we think deserve a bit more attention. Uh, or maybe records that we think have not had enough attention, but from artists that have had much attention. Sometimes though, sometimes we go a little bit off piece and we do a mixtape, which is what we're doing at this moment in so, time. So basically <laughs> instead of um, spending a whole episode talking about one album, we each take an album and try and battle battle over it. Yes. Mm-hmm. But also just and chat in depth about what it yeah. is that defines these records. Or these yeah, bands. so I think what we'll do this week is that we're going to have a wee discussion about the concept of the supergroup going to invite a couple of contributions from our uh, other part-time hosts uh, Fruccio Kercetti and and Vicky Henry uh, can't keep her away uh, but yeah we're going to debate the parameters of supergroups and then go through a whole shitload of supergroups uh, debate their merits and then get to the point where we duke it out over our choices um, 
this is also the third time the three of us have had this conversation. So mm-hmm. this this conversation originally arose during an episode of, on Tomahawk way back in, what was it, number, the 50s? Yeah. Low 50s? Not 1950s, ago. but the, the <laughs> episode 50s. Over 100 yeah. episodes ago. And then it arose again during the recent All Pigs Must Die episode. But we thought, we just got a little bit carried away during those episodes and those bits ended up in the cutting room floor and we thought, you know, to do this justice, we need to do it right. So this is us, inverted commas, doing doing it right. right. (laughs) You probably feel very differently about (laughs) the end here, but, uh, you know, at least we tried. We we can only do our best. So before Uh, before we go into this, we should should probably tell people that we like money. (laughs) (laughs) That's the Super League concept. We're we're going to form a podcast, Super League, and that's what it's going to be all about. It's going to be about the the Benjamins, as, as some American rappers would say, yeah. So if if you well, like, actually, last week was about the Benjamins. Ah, uh, yeah, I see. Good response to that episode. Thanks to everybody that, that gave us a, a wee shout out and stuff on on Twitter and all that, and and um, and on Instagram. But yeah, I mean, this podcast doesn't run itself. And we sometimes, a lot of the times, we've had to put in our own cash. Uh, but we're now in a fortunate position where you can give us some of your own cash so that we don't even <laughs> use our own, so we don't even use our own money to to sustain it. Um, and we have two options. Our first option and our preferred option is Patreon, um, on songpod.net for slash donate to get to that. We have lots of cool things in there. You'll get episodes a couple of days early. You'll also get bonus content. And if you're flash enough with your cash, you'll get custom t-shirts and a whole episode dedicated to an album that you've chosen. Um, the second option is if you just want a one-off commitment, go to PayPal. So again, unsungpod.net forward slash donate and give us some cash via PayPal. As Craig Brown did last week when he gave us a sum of money to do something horrific. <laughs> so... <laughs> Thanks. Oh, no, wait a minute. Is that the... I mean, this is not fucking cameo, but is this the request that I got? Yeah. No, no, no. So also Lanny, our good Swedish friend Lanny, also gave us some money last week. So thanks again, Lanny. He's actually on. He's actually a Patreon subscriber, so this is actually above and beyond what he usually gives us for you to say something nice about Kanye West, Chris. So Something nice about Kanye West. <laughs> Very good. Um, he's not R. Kelly. There you go. And well, and whatever he's been chewing all these years looks delicious. <laughs> Does Kanye West not just look like he's always about to spit out chewing tobacco? Yeah, it looks like it looks like he's a, 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 those baseball players that's always get like chewing tobacco in their mouth. Like, it's, exactly <laughs> well, like Neil Lennon used to shove like bits of like, weird stuff up into his gums, and yeah, he's got that weird pursed look all the time, like he's a bit to grog on you. Yeah, and musically speaking, he does. Regularly, <laughs> that's a matter of opinion. As Lanny, I'm sure disagrees with. I think Lanny's just in it for the lulls here. I think he's just trying to get me to commit to a soundbite that can then haunt me <laughs> at some point in the future. Well, that's all this podcast is. Yeah, just totally. something that will haunt us in the future. <laughs> Before we go headlong into this, right? I wanted to bring something up. So you just mentioned two supergroups, and we both define that very shortly, and um, what we actually mean by that. But we've done we've done more than two, haven't we? We've done the Beaters, we've done Mad Felony, um, so we've actually done quite a few over over the years that are that could be considered supergroups by some definition. Well, that's the key. You've got a little asterisk at the bottom of your like insurance contract there that is quite a big asterisk. It's like 
by some definitions. Like, are they supergroups? Let's let's discuss. Yeah, let's let's find out. So uh, <laughs> recently, if if you if you did subscribe to this, you'll be getting some new content soon. And one of the things in, uh, that's going to be part of that content is a band called Journey, uh, who are also maybe <laughs> with an asterisk next and possibly a supergroup. So, Chris, mm. do, you want to, do you want to lay out some definitions for us here? Uh, what the fuck is a supergroup? In one sentence, unrehearsed, Mark go the Justice League. <laughs> <laughs> Go again. <laughs> um, I suppose it's. I understand it to be. I'm not sure. I'm not saying I agree with this, but I understand it to be a collection of individual musicians who have achieved some kind of fame on their own right or in another band, uh, and have come together to form another greater super band, which in, which is just either a gives them something to do where they're not working, b helps them pay some extra bills, or c maybe pays towards divorce settlements or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, can I just say, as a writer, you're going to need to learn to shorten your sentences. <laughs> I like a fucking comma, mate. No, I mean, I, I mean, a supergroup is just a band made up of people from already successful other bands. Okay, that's an interesting one. I think that leaves a lot of gaps. Yeah. Like what? Well... Let's get to that. Let, let's look at the gaps. Um, yeah, I mean, it's a really broad term, but I think we should first and foremost remember that the word super is in there. And I think that's clearly like really subjective. How long is a piece of string? How super is an existing group? But I think there's something implied uh, in the word super that suggests that the bands that they're coming from should be of a certain status, like a, a non scientifically quantifiable but somehow vaguely super status so I think what we'll encounter in this and what I think Mark's already named are a number of groups that are comprised of people from other groups but when in that grey area does a super group just be a group you know a group because almost every musician that any of us know including ourselves have played in multiple bands Mm -hmm. so I've been in more than one band at a time were any of those bands super groups? I would like to think so, but almost certainly not. But so I, think I think it's very contextual because you can be like a Glasgow indie supergroup. You're a supergroup within that context of you know, or within that scene. Yeah, um, but it requires two very important words before it, and we're just talking about supergroup. So yeah, Glasgow- so supergroup is just global bands and global artists that have mm. a you know specific legitimacy and success previously. Yeah, you you could be a, a nice and sleazy supergroup, but then my my folks wouldn't let you use the toilet in the house. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't mean a shit outside of there. So I think yeah. the word supergroup has to be qualified to to some extent, and I think that's like where you run into some issues, right? And I was thinking about the process of supergroups, like how are they formed, what are their end goals, and I think those are really those really have a bearing on their credentials as well to some extent. I've kind of broken this down into five rough categories, okay? And some of these categories overlap, and I want to make that clear. So we'll go through some bands, and I'll try and put some of these categories onto those bands, but there will be a fair bit of overlap, and I'd love to get some input for you guys as well. Some of the questions I was asking to try and make these decisions were like, are they already famous? Are the members already well-known? Is this a side project, or is this now a main project? And did it transition from a side project into being a main project? You know, did it overtake the previous group? Uh, is it concurrent? 
or is it posthumous to the group that they're maybe best known for? Is it a one-off? That's a big one that we'll, we'll touch on. Uh, is it a concept project? That's another big one that we'll touch on and a kind of really interesting one about supergroups, you know. Is it some weird format? Is it a group that's specifically to do covers? Is it a group that's specifically for some weird art occasion or a film or something? Uh, this is one of my favourites and I think this is one of my favourite categories when we start going through the bands as well does it feel like the product of a stoned early morning conversation at a party Mm. (laughs) you know is it a bunch of guys that have clearly been backstage at a festival or crossing paths a whole bunch and just been like dude we totally need to jam together oh my god we should totally ask like Betty and Agnes and Davy Boy and fucking make a band man and just oh my god I love I love Erasure we should totally play these Erasure songs but like like grindcore um and I, I think like that shit's happening all over the world all the time and i would certainly wager that's where some of your glasgow indie supergroups come from um so does it feel like the product of a very late night either stoned drunk whatever conversation at a party uh is it marketed as a supergroup you know what level of like foisting this upon you does supergroup play in it um and also is it a charity thing which is a very niche but relevant uh, criteria. So these break down as category A, I would suggest is no, actually, this is just a group. Rather than being a super group, this is just a group. It features musicians that have been in other bands, uh, that maybe still are in other bands, that have ongoing concurrent projects, but it's just a, really a band. As an example, by, by way of illustrating that, I would say Fugazi is one. Okay, so Fugazi get a mention as a possible candidate for a supergroup, but Fugazi never, nothing about, the, I mean, in terms of how they're marketed, they're not marketed as a supergroup. In terms of the profile of the band, yeah, they were big in their scene, but you certainly never get the impression the people in the band thought they were super in any way. The band itself is artistically credible in its own right. You know, it had a certain goals and has a long career and is totally, has superseded, I would suggest, anything that they did before. I know fans of Minor Threat might disagree, but I feel it has. And um, yeah, I would say some other ones that fall under that, arguably, are Pearl Jam, who were and probably got a head start thanks to their profile and involvement with things like Temple of the Dog and Green River and things like that. But I think the band was an earnest project in and of itself and has certainly long since surpassed anything they did before it. Uh, Mark, I would say run the jewels. Fuck the law, they can eat my dick, that's word of pimp. Word of pimp. Word of pimp. Hold up. Oh my, you are now listening to run the jewels. Fuck the law, they can eat my dick. Whilst the product of two individual careers, I think the project itself is greater than the sum of its parts and I think it was a sincere thing. It wasn't marketed as a super group. Um, I would argue, and I think it's definitely debatable, I would argue about Queens of Stone Age, and we'll come back to that uh, because one of our contributors is starting to add on that. Uh, I would also argue for Cream to fall into that category. She's a witch, a trouble in electric. 
it's hard because Cream was so long ago, certainly before our times, and you don't really know how it came across in the early, early days. Clapton was already pretty famous. Uh, Jack Bruce had some profile, Ginger Baker had some profile, but I think Cream certainly in retrospect seems like, you know, they're the guys from Cream versus, oh, that's the guy from the Yardbirds. I know that might be the case for some total musos, but I don't think it's the case overall. And here we go, Foo Fighters. Technically a supergroup formed by one of the world's most famous drummers uh, and a gang of highly credible sort of emo musicians from various places and people like Pat Smear obviously joining from Nirvana as well. But I would still suggest a fairly earnest project. Also, one thing about Foo Fighters, it started as a solo project mm-hmm. and Queens of Stone Age... This is the thing that's often forgot about that. Like Josh Homme yeah, wrote and recorded that first album alone. So albeit that, you know, Nick Oliveri was very quickly on the scene and then that expanded to include all these other faces that are now definitely there to be seen. It was an earnest thing from, from a starting point, I think. Uh, so that's one category. Uh, are there any others you guys want to throw in there off the bat? I mean, we'll probably touch on them later on, but just in case it occurs to you. I guess along with Cream, you fire in a few other early ones like Led Zeppelin. Yep. yep. Blind Faith. So. Mm-hmm. Blind Faith. You think Blind Faith? Well, yeah, maybe they are more off. Because, yeah, they did just one off album, faith, I guess. Off the Faith of Cream, I think, yeah. Yeah. Um, Emerson, Lake and Palmer. In the long run, yeah. Yeah, In the long, long run. term, you know, they, they definitely stand out. What's I would interesting, say ABBA. yeah, like I would ABBA, say ABBA are quite are mentioned mm-hmm. as a supergroup, and they're they're not a supergroup. They're just they the happen to be in bands previously, but you know, it's fucking maybe. ABBA. <laughs> Yeah, maybe a useful asterisk for this category is did these bands initially benefit in some small way from contacts or experience or a bit of like uh, prestige, even if it was in a small micro scene? They, mm-hmm. know, they certainly had a head start. ABBA had a head start due to all of the four members' sort of like recognisability in Sweden. You know, Fugazi obviously had a head start due to their credentials. Like These bands did benefit but it didn't become the story of their career as a band. So I think that's kind of a useful distinction. I would say, but I'd probably actually add into that. Um, I mentioned them at the start of the episode, but worth saying, a lot of people think that Journey is a supergroup, but I don't think they really are. You know, they were all session musicians for other bands, and we spoke about that, you know, mm-hmm. in the content. Same with, same, with, same with Toto as well. Yeah, totally. I was going to say Toto as well. I would say Toto much more so than yeah, Journey. Yeah, Toto was literally a session musician supergroup, you know, mm-hmm. which doesn't really qualify as a supergroup because, you know, if somebody can't name them, then I don't think you can really say they're yeah. relying on that. Yeah, 
we'll go through our list of bands. So uh, we'll go to the next, um, the next category. Now, I, I, I kind of labelled this hangover core, but I think this is, like I said, the sort of you commit to something at a party, maybe you regret it. Maybe you still think it's a great idea, but you go through with it anyway. And I think hangover core is an interesting category in this sense because it can include both good and bad and kind of neutral. So there's a certain element of ego, like you meet these guys, or you meet these girls, you all meet together and you immediately decide that the world needs to hear this crazy, goofy idea you've got. And your status gives you a platform via which to put that idea into the world and at least to some extent know that it's going to get uh, some kind of audience. I would say that Mike Patton's probably a good example of that, both for good and bad. You know, he knows like this is a wacky idea, but we can at least give it some sort of profile based on the other stuff I've done. Um, and quite often the hangover core stuff's quite concept based. So we'll touch on some of these later on in more detail. But yeah, a band, for example, switching genres, a bunch of guys who are in metal bands, but they're sitting backstage listening to Electro going, oh, I never knew you liked this. Oh, I love this. Oh, I love this too. We should totally do something like this. You know, that, that, that kind of thing, that kind of conversation. Well, for me, does this then include basically super groups that you hear about and then don't see the light of day? Because, mm-hmm. you know, they, ha- yeah. they have a concept and they talk Com- about it and they're like, yeah, we, we are getting together, man. And then they don't. So, Completely. you know, the yeah. one that I always think of is Tapeworm. This next song has been just a rumour for the last two years. It's a song that I did with uh, Danny Loner for the Tapeworm Project. Tapeworm uh, is the king of the unrealized supergroup. Absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, obviously Trent Reznor, side project with Danny and Charlie from Nine Inch Nails, but then Maynard Keenan, Paige Hamilton, Phil Anselmo as well. And, you know, you'd hear it's going to be Nine Inch Nails meets Pantera, it's going to be Pink Floyd gone metal. You know, Phil Anselmo is also quite often mentioned in you know, side projects like this. I mean, he's in so many side projects, Hmm. one of which we'll touch in the second episode, but uh, the the other one was Ibon, his -hmm. black metal one with Fenris uh, and Satire from Satyricon. Yeah, you can totally imagine the kind of conversations they bonded over backstage. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's true. (laughs) Um, But yeah, yeah, I think tying into that as well, Hangover Core frequently includes totally non-essential, pointless, gimmicky, self-indulgent bullshit. Like a lot of these people are bored and think the world needs to hear this stupid fucking idea and the world really doesn't need to hear it. But they don't are, are you talking about Zwan? Let's let's throw some examples in there. I would say a good example of hangover core is probably me first in the gimme gimmies. think those guys probably just loved the idea of it'd be so much fun to just do a bunch of covers and that became that sort of acquired a momentum and snowballed uh, i would say gorillas sort of comes across like a bunch of musicians with a bit of a, 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 admiration for each other a bunch of creative types that maybe met at various events and started swapping ideas uh, something like mutoid man Who 
you've got a bunch of people in a scene that are kind of close and they just want to do something for a laugh maybe it started out as just a few casual jams doing covers and they were like this is kind of fun you know do you want to do something more with it what about Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds I would say Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds is just a group um, but they will definitely come up when we're going through the list of people uh, in terms of bad I would say stuff like Hell Yeah or uh, Loaded just a bunch of doofuses backstage at fucking Download deciding that the world really needs them to get together and play some fucking garbage uh, I would also say maybe something like the Dirty Mac and you know what it's Now, we spoke about the Dirty Mac recently, which is like Keith Richards and fucking John Lennon. Who else is in it? We'll talk about them in a second. Dirty Mac was what? Clapton was in that as well. Mitch Mitchell. That seems to me just like a bunch of guys who were sitting blethering and thought, oh, we should totally do this thing because we can, because look who we are. Uh, but that maybe crosses over with, with the next category. Neutral ones, I'm not so sure that I want to qualify their their merits as a pro bot. Which again seems like Dave Grohl meeting a bunch of his fucking heroes and being like, oh yeah, we should totally collaborate sometime, man. And then eventually pulls it together. I would say them Crooked Vultures probably started as like Dave Grohl and Josh Holm meeting fuck it, what's his name from... John Paul Jones. Jones. John Paul Jones. And just, you know, just mutual admiration and being like, yeah, we're working something and eventually it happened. And I would say actually a good ex- a, a neutral example of this, just given the mixed results, is Desert Sessions, which is the ultimate hangover core band. I mean, that whole thing just seems like one big long sesh, and it seems like all of their ideas come from the sesh. Let's just go get on the sesh, and whatever comes out will be the result. And yeah, and the world needs to hear it, even though quite often it really didn't. Um, next category, Billy Big Boys and the Name Droppers. Um, Belly Big Boys and the Name Dropper seems to me like the kind of thing that, for example, is look at all my famous pals. I am famous, and to confirm my fame, look at my famous, famous pals, and we're all going to get to together and confirm each other's fame by working together. Uh, I think there's a lot of egomania, and it's often kind of sickening. It tends to be more of a negative category. I think there's a big cash-in factor, although I don't think it's necessarily out of desperation. That's going to be a distinct category in itself, but I think it's not because they need the money, it's just because they're for themselves. Um, I think there is a little bit of a hangover factor, but it's obviously a lot more cynically motivated by like, oh, we could make some real money doing something together. I think it includes... A certain amount of engineering on the part of record labels a lot of the time, you know, us is a total cash cow. You know, it's brought together by agents rather than necessarily being brought together by artists or the artists sort of pass it to the agent and the agent says, this is a good, this is a good idea. This would also be the case maybe with certain charity things. 
you know, like Band-Aid is kind of Billy Big Boss and the name droppers, you know, it's, it's like, oh, wow, we've got a bunch of super famous celebrities who all feel they need to be there to underline their own celebrity. Uh, I think that that's one. And also there's a bunch of one-hit wonders in that as well who they, where they just really play one show. So, I mean... So are, we talk, are, we, so are we talking about Hollywood vampires here? Well, yeah, yeah they exactly are. What I was thinking <laughs> absolutely a shoe in for that category. I would say that. Uh, did you ever hear the Million Dollar Quartet? Mm, I don't think so. No. The Million Dollar Quartet only played one show, but it was Elvis Presley, Johnny Cash, and Jerry Lee Lewis, along with Carl Perkins. They, by the way, released a record that's forty-seven tracks on it. <laughs> <laughs> Fair play. Um, and then there's a band. Have you heard of a band called The Gat? No. Oh. <laughs> oh my god. The GAC did two charity concerts together and it features Slash, Axel Rose, Sebastian Bach of Skid Row, Lars Ulrich, James Hetfield, and Duff McKagan. Oh my god. Wow. Right. So that is like that is clearly Billy Big Boss and the name droppers. But into that I would also add, as I said, Band Aid. Hearing aid the sort of metal comedy version of Band Aid. I would add the Highwaymen to some extent. Talk about them in a second. Uh, I think them crooked vultures kind of overlaps into this one a wee bit. I think Probot overlaps into this one a wee bit. I think Velvet Revolver probably applies here. an argument to say something like Temple of the Dog applies here um, <laughs> The Good, The Bad and The Queen Yep, that could apply here uh, and Travelling Wilburys would probably apply here, just a bunch of famous dudes being like, yeah, let's just all be famous together on stage, I think there's, there's a bit of that. The fourth category uh, Mark, this is not a reflection on the band, but United Desperations mm-hmm. um, Yeah uh, Past It Acts in Need of Cash more tends to be the case here so there's a little bit of the kind of Billy Big Boys but it's Billy Big Boys folk that are sort of getting on a bit they're past their, their prime you know they start doing things like legacy tours you know the 30th anniversary tours or McBusted yeah nostalgia yep. offshoot bands by departed members is another one you know where the bands have split acrimoniously and you get sort of two versions of the band like Black Flag or whatever like kicking around and you get also, people who tried to go it alone from a band but then couldn't cut it. Would you also Sorry. include when the singer of your band has been discovered to be a horrendous paedophile? <laughs> yes, they they and they will make uh, no was it no devotion no devotion, no devotion yeah yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah they'll make an appearance. Uh, I would say definite shoe-ins for this category are McBusted. They're obvious. Uh, NKOTBSB, which is New Kids on the Backstreet Boys. Yeah, brutal. What's that? Uh, Boys own Boys life. Westlife. Boys, Boys life. life. Boys life. Boys life. Yeah. Life, yeah. And I think I believe that they are apparently horrendous people backstage. Yeah, <laughs> so that's, I, I know that from yeah firsthand <laughs> experience. Yeah. So fallen fallen icons, man. Nobody is less gracious. Uh, I would I would ask of whether somebody like Prophets of Rage are a wee bit of that. I felt that was a bit 
tacky and sort of desperate. Um, certainly bands like Hell Yeah feel a wee bit like that as well. But yeah, and then final category that I would suggest is Unicorns. And this, again, these categories have overlap, but these are super groups that really fucking work, really stand up on their own merits. They are super groups. They're not just groups. You know, they're not Fugazi where they just work, but they are technically super groups. And I would say Journey probably more applies here. Where you've got a unicorn where yeah they were a bit higher profile than maybe the members of Toto but they really worked in and of themselves Cream probably applies here to some extent although I, I'm not sure how super they actually were um, they, they do have unicorns do have sincere artistic goals it's not just like a kind of ego trip they have staying power they tend to do way more than just one thing together they also have credibility and I think credibility is quite subjective obviously but that's a big part of it. You know, the whole thing about supergroups is like it's very subjective experience. One person's crass cash in is another person's Oh dude, awesome. It's fucking audio slave. You know, <laughs> that kind of vibe. Um and they produce good work that makes good use of their talents that were developed and nurtured elsewhere. They're using experience in a good way. And I think like Atoms for Peace or something like that might be a good example of that. Yeah, Tomahawk. Um, uh, Mars Volta. Shrine Builder. Yeah, so, list of bands, some of which we've talked about, but we'll fly through some of them that we haven't. Do we know the Soul Clan? Do you guys know that? No. One album. Someone listen to me while I say Soul Clan was Otis Redding, Benny King and Wilson Pickett. Now it kind of came out when all those guys are doing pretty well so I'm kind of tempted to say it's Billy Big Boys and the the Name Droppers. I don't think it's, there's no desperation about it but it also feels pretty contrived and they only did the one record. Um, Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young I would probably say is the same. I know they have a bit more staying power than the others but I do think it's a little bit of the Billy Big Boys phenomenon. Although I, I do really like Deja Vu, the album. Yeah, I mean, great songs, some really good stuff. There is definitely an element of unicorn to them, but did they outshine their solo projects, for example? No. Definitely not. Um, Led Zeppelin, I think just a group in yeah. hindsight. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Uh, Grand Funk Railroad. Um, Grand Funk Railroad were at the time believe it or not a supergroup but the thing is they retrospectively eclipsed that by becoming far better known than any of the groups they were in to the point where 
we can't name the groups they were in now because they're very much groups of their era mm-hmm. and Grand Funk Railroad became so much bigger than that. So that's kind of the great example of like Category A where they became just a group retrospectively. Uh, Emerson, Lake and Palmer we spoke about. Obviously, that's members of the Nice, King Crimson, was it Atomic Rooster, Crazy World of Arthur Brown. So there's a lot of like big names to the time, but also became really famous in their own right. Uh, have you heard um, the Planet Earth Rock and Roll Orchestra? Yeah, those guys must have been high all the fucking time because it was Grateful Dead, David Crosby and Graham Nash, Jefferson Airplane. Yeah. I mean, they must have smoked so much weed and taken so much acid. It would be fucking unbelievable. It's amazing that they got anything done, but they released two records, I think. Yeah, but the thing is, do any of us know any songs by them? No. So I feel like that's like a pure Billy Big Boss project. I know they did two albums, but... But that kind of... Also goes into Jefferson's Starship, doesn't it? They they kind of merge together at some point, and they're fairly well known, I think. Yeah, I suppose. Journey, like I say, I think they're a bit of a unicorn. I do think they're more of a supergroup than we give them credit for at the time, because, I mean, what you're talking about, Santana, The Tubes, Steve Miller Band, uh, one of them is from Zappa, wasn't he? he played mm. in Zappa's band. Yeah. Mm-hmm. One of them played in Jeff Beck's band. I mean, that's pretty high profile for the era, but Journey became Journey. Um, bad Company. Free King Crimson, Mott the Hoople. Bad yep. Company's pretty famous though. So yeah. I mean, somewhere on the cusp of. But you know, again, yeah. that's kind of, you know, there's two members of Free there dealing with the death of their guitarist. So that's kind of one of those ones that's maybe down to um, try work out what we do next. Yeah, down yeah. to circumstance. Toto, all session musicians, super famous in the industry, but not famous in the street. And I think they qualify as just a group. Um, Ozzy Osbourne's band, by the way, started out <laughs> known as the Blizzard of Oz. Yeah. Um, and that was like Ozzy, members of Rainbow, Uriah Heep, Quiet Riot, and more actually. But it does seem to have just gotten to the the heights and the success that qualifies it as just a group uh asia arguably the same members of yes king crimson and the buggles had some really big hits um but definitely a billy big boys thing at the time um mark i wondered if you'd heard of these guys the lords of the new church no Lords of the New Church featured members of the Damned, members of the Dead, the Dead Boys, members oh. of Sham Sixty Nine, and members of the Barracudas. Dead Boys are pretty um, good. Yeah, well, it's a band that I've been heard really, really good things about in a kind of really credible way, but I've never really heard any of the stuff that I'm aware of. I'm sure Anna would probably had a lot to contribute on that front. Yeah. So I was thinking about this. Uh, I know we've already done Parliament on the show, right? Parliament and Funkadelic are essentially a supergroup, right? Mm-hmm. Think about it, because they're a combination of two George Clinton projects, which were both hugely famous in their own right. But they never actually released a record. Like in the sort of in the eighties, George Clinton started releasing stuff either in his own name or under, under P Funk All Stars. But they're co- colloquially known as Parliament Funkadelic, and they always have been. And they probably will be until the end of time. Yeah. 
you were talking about the 80s there, Chris, so it kind of popped into my head. Like, But I kind of feel like, you know, it's, it's judged long term and I think they fall into just a group, you know. I mean, just a group. I don't mean that in a derogatory sense. I mean, like, Parliament and Funkadelic are the most famous things they were involved in. I would say Parliament, are Parliament and Funkadelic as famous as George Clinton's name to the person in the street? Debatably. Really, really big projects. So I think, I think in the context, yeah, they qualify as groups in their own right, not necessarily supergroups. Although I do take on board what you're saying, like definitely the genesis of them started perhaps as a bit of a supergroup, but like so many, I think they, they eclipsed that. Um, what do you guys think of this Mortal Coil in terms of their status? I think it's a Billy Big Boys, personally. Did I dream You dreamed about me Were you Well, I, I'm i not sure that you even call it a supergroup because it's more of a studio recording project. Well, see, most of the kind of studio recording projects come under that category of see, like Billy Big Boys, where you've got a label that has said, hey guys, we'll engineer this, we just need you to turn up, but yeah, we're going to put this thing together because it has real commercial yeah. potential. You're not and a group, think- like none of them are going to tour together, none of them are yeah. hanging out and writing, you know, songs together. Yeah. And I want to be clear, I'm not saying that nothing of value came out of it, far from it. So Song of the Siren is amazing for starters. But yeah, I do think this Mortal Coil comes across as a bit of a Billy Big Boys sort of like, hey, we'll just get a bunch of names together of the time. Albeit most of the names are sort of relatively modest in the 4ED catalogue. You know, Dead Can Dance. Yeah, people know them, but they're not mega famous. Cocteau Twins, probably the most well-known. Mm-hmm. Style Council, maybe because of the Paul Weller connection. Um and then Ivo watched Russell himself. I don't think many people could tell you that he's the owner of 4AD outside of the indie scene, but yeah, there you go. Uh, Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds, I do agree. They probably started a bit like Parliament or something like that. It's like something of a super group. It was Birthday Party magazine, Einsterzender Nabalten. Uh, members also went on to be in the Dirty Three early on. Um, but I do think Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds became a fairly solid and recognised project in and of themselves. It's more famous than any of the groups, I think. They certainly had more hits than any of the groups that they, they came from. Agree. Um, Here's a good one. The power station. We want to you know what? Yeah. 80s as fuck. Duran Duran with Robert, Robert Palmer and um, to- Tony Thompson from Chic as well Chic yeah I mean that's that's, that's Billy that's Billy Huge Boys that's <laughs> what that is that's literally why would they even get together <laughs> just massive think, uh, amounts of cocaine members of Duran Duran turn up in weird places with weird people in, in other bands like it's, it's a bit strange <laughs> yeah. any anytime you see a Taylor and a songwriting credit you're always thinking <laughs> <laughs> um, there's a kind of obscure one here Gog Magog you guys know this one Time 
Yeah, that had uh, Paul Diano, the original guy from Iron Maiden. Iron Maiden. With a bunch uh, of... White uh, Snake and Gillen Band people, yeah. Yeah, so it was like yeah. new wave of British heavy metal sort of cast-offs. So I, yeah. I'm not sure if it's, a, if it's a super group or not. Well, that's what I was going to say. Do you think that maybe qualifies as D, the United Desperations yeah, category? Yeah, yeah. possibly. Um, we've got Travelling Wilburys, George Harrison, Bob Dylan, Tom Petty, Roy Orbison, Jeff Lynn of Yellow, just like one of the archetypal... I mean, that's as big as you're going to get, really, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, I was going to say maybe Bob at Tin Machine. Yeah, so that was what David Bowie, David Bowie, and a bunch of really well-known musicians that had played in other bands and done session stuff. Really, yeah. I I think that's Hangover though. I feel like they were just fucking wrecked but at parties. It's really interesting when you hear Bowie talking about it. So he was actually checked out of music almost entirely at the time. He thought he was just going to do like painting and stuff, and he was done. And then he decided, my fucking arse. No, he didn't. It's <laughs> just all fucking mythology. To, David Bowie's so full of shit, man. Honestly. <laughs> and he said that he started he, he started talking to I think it was maybe Reeves Gabriel or Tony Sales, one of them, and he was basically saying that they actually wanted to like just jam together and. The records, two records, didn't really get a great reception. I don't know if you've heard them, but they're a bit, they're really a bit meh. But he he credits that as being the thing that gave him the fire back to actually go and make music again. Um, uh, electronic, that's an interesting one. Bernard Sumner and Johnny Marr, really. Uh, but then Carl Bartos, the Kraftwerk, Neil Tennant, and the Pet Shop Boys, like pretty big hitters with some pretty big singles. I've been forcing myself not to forget just to feel words. I think it's a weird one because they're really big names in this band and they definitely shoehorned their way onto the front of magazines as a result of that. Mm-hmm. But then they also followed it through with big songs. You know, and I, th- I, th- I think the fact that they managed to have hits and have a very successful first album at least, yeah, I mean, they did have some success. So I'm sort of less inclined to say it's just Billy Big Boys. And then also I think they're a little bit of a unicorn. I'm not a huge fan of Electronic, but being objective... I think they were successful. I can't even tell you a song by Electronic. <laughs> okay, yeah, no, well, me neither. That'll, that'll be your homework. <laughs> um, the Breeders. I mean, just a group now, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, Kim Deal was a big I mean, Kim Deal. <laughs> Kim Deal was Kim, a big deal, right? Yeah, in the big yeah, at the time. This is the thing. Like the thing. Like okay, the other key member in that band was Tanya Donnelly, a throwing muses. Personally, I don't think. No offense to you, Tanya Donnelly, but you're not famous enough in hindsight to really overshadow the overall fame. Of, I would say that the Breeders are more famous than throwing muses, for example, and therefore that just sort of technically short circuits the whole conversation and makes them just a group because Kim Deal was in them yeah Pixies are still definitely more famous than the Breeders but I do think it's more of a side project isn't it you know it's all very subjective and if you say the Breeders to most people then they go oh yeah that's Kim Deal's other band Mm -hmm. yeah Uh, Temple of the Dog I mean the grunge supergroup and just really quite bad but it's on the table the fire 
I mean, they did arise out of unfortunate circumstances. So it's a bit like you were saying about free and bad company. You know, Andrew Wood, the singer of Mother Love Bone, died of an overdose. I think it was like days before their record was meant to come out. Yeah. So, I mean, it's quite tragic. Um, and the Temple of the Dog thing was there to sort of make sure that the tracks got released and to sort of do some justice to his legacy. I think it's definitely a Billy Big Boys, but I don't mean it to sound as cynical as it does because I do think there was a pure sentiment. A lot of these guys had lost a friend and their bandmate and they were... Yeah, it just so happened that they were all getting big at that point, you Mm. know, so that's not entirely their fault. Yeah, Um, it's actually that project that birthed Pearl Jam because Eddie Vedder made an appearance on it mm -hmm. as a sort of second vocalist and then... Pearl Jam members uh, I think it was Stone Gossard uh, Mike McCready uh, Jeff Ament was on that as well in fact and yeah. then Eddie Vedder so yeah that became Pearl Jam and then, in fact Matt Cameron who at the time was in Soundgarden with Chris Cornell ended up joining Pearl Jam later so yeah um, The Three Tenors <laughs> I mean that is pretty super <laughs> That is That is super. It's Billy Big Boss. It's a unicorn. It's fucking everything. Apparently. Aye. Pavarotti liked his gear as well. I get the feeling. So it's probably a fair bit of hangover core. Mm-hmm. Um, well, we uh, cut to one of our, one of our hosts. Uh, I think we should take in some of what Ferruccio has to say on this because I believe he's got quite an interesting nomination. Well, as everyone knows, most uh, supergroups suck, but there's at least one supergroup that does not suck at all. It's Sonic's Rendezvous Band. <laughs> It's a band from Detroit uh, made by Fred Sonic Smith on guitar from the MC5 and then Scott Morgan from The Rationals on vocals, Gary Rasmussen from Up, one of the, the most radical uh, bands to ever come out of the, the United States, both in political and, and musical terms, and Scott Ashton from The Stooges. They only recorded one single, City Slang, which is simply one of the greatest songs ever written, especially one of the greatest riffs ever written. And um, they also managed in their short life, the short time they were together, they managed also to, to record one of the earliest examples of post rock, uh, which is a, a track called China Fields. So I really recommend Sonic's Rendezvous Band, they are my favorite super group. Thank you. No, thank you, you for the show. <laughs> <laughs> that, that accent, man, can't say no. They're a really, really interesting band. Um, I had a wee scout around after Ferruccio sent us that message, and he's right, that city slang tune is totally banging. Um, it's also got a fairly hip German label named after it, I think, which is the likes of like Lamb Chop and Calexico and Nada Surf and stuff like that. In it. Uh, what I thought was even more interesting, actually, was that second song you mentioned, China Fields, which I looked up at <laughs> very few listens that I could see online as well. Honestly, it really does sound like early post-rock. It's astonishing. Like, it sounds way, way ahead of its time. Uh, I had had absolutely no idea. But yeah, they're a really, really interesting project. So They're they're probably the unsung supergroup. 
absolutely. It's a good argument to be made for that. It'd be a, it'd actually be a, a, an argument to do one of our new unsung, unsong standalone episodes on City Slang. So we might ask Ferruccio to take part in one of those. Uh, so let's keep going with a few more. Pig face. We have mentioned Pigface before. This is Martin Atkins, who kind of seen as being the, the coordinator of it, but he was in like Ministry, Pill, Nine Inch Nails. It's also got Trent Reznor, it's got Danny Carey for Tool, it's got Ogre from Skinny Puppy, it's got Genesis P. Orridge, it's got Steve Albini, it's got Chris Vrena, it's, it's so many people. Flea from Red Hot Chili Peppers. Yeah. Oh my goodness, yeah. it's, a, it's a crazy, crazy. I mean, it's definitely Billy Big Boys ish. There's no way all these people were at the same party, but over the years, yeah, They've done eight or nine albums now, I think. Exactly, yeah. So there's like a credibility and a long-term thing. None of their albums have really taken, though. Yeah. You know, they don't have like an outstanding uh, Big Face album. <laughs> it's not like there's been a big hit or anything to come from it. So there is like a little bit of the Desert Sessions vibe to it as well. Um, yeah, I'm not sure. Interesting, interesting project. Maybe there is a hidden genius Big Face album. Maybe someone will suggest it to us as an unsung classic. Um Mark, 213. What can you tell me about that? Nothing. Nothing. Snoop Dogg, Nate Dogg and Warren G, man. It's the motherfucking 213. Blasting off on your ass. Something funky, fantabulous. Can you dig in my bubble? Check this out one time. Woo! Since we're talking about it, baby, let me twist your body like it's supposed to. Twist something. It's a fucking Aye. Billy Big Boys. I've never like heard one. <laughs> never heard of them. Dave, you ever heard them? Uh, no, I don't know any of their songs. But, I mean, I know all of their songs, but I don't know any of 213's songs. Definitely. Well, knowing their lifestyles, it's definitely a hangover band. But also Billy Big Boss. <laughs> uh, a little band called Down that we might, might, yeah, we might touch on later. Yeah, I mean, you've got Pantera, Corrosion of Conformity, Crowbar, I Hate God, Goat Whore, and then all of the other side projects that they're all involved in as well. But yeah. And another group of men that probably like a wee puff. Uh, yeah, you'd probably say so. <laughs> uh, Slash is Snake Pit, Mark. I don't, know, I don't really know where they'd fall because it's like... Alice in Chains members, cult members. Guns yeah, so you get Matt Sorrow from Guns N' Roses, Gilby Clark from Guns N' Roses. What's his face? Inez Alice in Chains. from Alice in Chains, yeah. Uh, the singer, what's his name? Eric Rover. Like, uh, the, first, the first album it was Eric Rover. He's got, he had a cracking voice, man. Um, did he? This, yeah, I'm sure he did. The second album's got a totally different lineup, totally different singer, and it's just not as good. So Slash has released a bunch of solo records, and it's like a basically what it is is uh, him, Miles Kennedy, and a bunch of other musicians that have been in other bands. Um, it's just the exact same vibe as Slash's Snake Pit, it's Slash and just pals. <laughs> Slash and pals, yeah, uh, basically CBBs. Um, yeah. But I mean, is it? Category C, Billy Big Boss, or is it category D, Desperation, United Desperations? I'm not entirely sure because it, Slash, Slash didn't need money. He was still in Guns N' Roses at this point and they just released Usual Illusion 1 and 2. But what people in Guns N' Roses might need is not necessarily a bank account boost, but an ego boost. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's exactly. maybe just as important 
and desperate for quite a lot of musicians we might be talking about. <laughs> True. <laughs> All right, pressing on. Power Flow, Cypress Hill, Biohazard, Downset, Fear Factory. Trying to be Billy Big Boss. Who has anybody ever heard anything that came out of that project? No. Without it. <laughs> Pro- Profits of Rage. Any thoughts? Um, I don't know because Chuck D was still making music as Public Enemy. Tom Dell was doing solo stuff. Pretty irrelevant though, right? Um, yeah, but they're just they're irrelevant because they're old. They're still trying to be relevant. I kind of feel like what what else are you supposed to do? They're at least trying to do something. <laughs> it's either that or take up you know model railways or something. <laughs> look like Rod Stewart. Yeah. yeah. Um, Mad season. Lane Staley. Mike McCready. Screaming Trees members. I mean, Mad Season are beloved by grunge aficionados, or some grunge aficionados, but not me. Uh, yeah, C for me. Dream Car. Has anyone heard Dream Car? Yeah. Any good? No. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck them. It's a category B. That just seems like a fucking backstage idea to me. Uh, here's a good one. The Backbeat Band. You guys know this? Sounds familiar. So this was made for the film Backbeat, and it features... Dave Grohl, Thurston Moore, Mike Mills of R.E.M., Greg Dooley of the Afghan Wigs, as well as people from like Gumball and Soul Asylum and stuff like that. And they were literally pulled together for that movie. The best things in life are free, but you can't give them to the birds and bees. I need more. That's what I want. That's what I want. So it's a clear Billy Big Boss record label engineered enterprise that did that soundtrack. Mm-hmm. If you're curious, go listen. Rather you than me. Uh, the Neurotic Outsiders. Know them? No. Yep. Steve Jones, Sex Pistols, Duff McKagan, John Taylor of Duran Duran, another Taylor, uh, and Matt Sorum for Guns N' Roses. Don't know anything by them. I think they're a wee bit tragic. Cause, yeah, sounds yeah. it. Yeah, I'm not mm-hmm. sure. I mean, when you've got Sex Pistols and Guns and Roses and Duran, in a Duran. band, to, and Duran, <laughs> uh, no, <laughs> just not all, be. all of whom are past their best. Yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, Buena Vista Social Club is a one-off thing, uh, but it seems to have become like one of the most acclaimed collaborations and supergroups of maybe of all time. And it's a really interesting one because it's sort of multicultural and multi-genre. And exactly, yeah. I mean, was it Anga Diaz, Luis Bazaga, Ray Kuder, uh, What's his name? Papi Oviedo. I think his name Papi Oviedo. I can't remember his name, but um, yeah, super famous. Uh, little band called Phantomus that might make an appearance next episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, broken social scene. Do makes you think Metric, Land of Talk ended up being quite a kind of prolific band in their own right. I think Broken Social Scene just passed into the realms of just a group because they're probably as well known, if not better known than it. Certainly Do makes you think and possibly Metric. Uh, okay, here's a good one A Perfect Circle. Touch. 
I mean, yeah. I mean, I guess they are because you've got Josh Freese, who 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 is drummed for every band in the world. And it's the problem is it's led by Billy Howardell, who is not really in any other bands, but he's very well known because he's like the guitar tech. Mm. Um, but then you've got you know James Iaf from Smashing Pumpkins and obviously Maynard Keenan. So he also that that girl Paz Lashanton. Yeah. So I'm not sure how they fit in. Did they pass into being a band in their own right, or were they always still just a Billy Big Boss project? No, I th- I think because of Billy Howardell leading the band, I guess. Well, although is it? Oh, look at my famous pals. They do have a good first album. Yeah, their first album is actually good, and then it kind of deteriorates. Yeah, I'm not sure. Yeah, um, the transplants. Does anyone rate them? I don't really rate them. Who got the diamonds? Who got the them? But I don't know where I'd put them because Rancid and Blink-182 were both huge when this thing happened. There was no need for them to actually do this at all. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I think it's probably just trying to be a, another group. They're not. They're not desperation. Definitely not. It's not really Billy. Is it Billy Big Boss? Skinhead Rob was just. Uh, I think he was Rancid's guitar tech. Yeah. It's maybe a hangover one. It's maybe a. Yeah. This maybe. sounds. This is a good idea. Let's do something a bit weird. Audio slave. Uh, I think it felt. It definitely felt the need for two sets of, for Chris Cornell and, and Rage that they, they that they needed. I think they both needed to have filled. You know what I mean? Like they just the end was quite abrupt. And Chris Cornell was kind of just out of rehab, so I think their story is actually better than a lot of their music. Like the reason for them getting together is a lot better than the music, a lot of the music itself, to be honest. But then the music was so successful as well, very successful, really successful. That it seems like you'd think with bands coming from bands as big as that and as credible as that, they would struggle. But they sort of almost scraped their way to being a group in their own right, mm-hmm. even against that tide. Um, a few in quick succession: Son of Sam, which was like Danzig, AFI, Sam Hain, and Davy Havoc. Mm-hmm. In, Tiger in Army Yeah they're basically just like a Misfitsy style band on one album It's good fun <laughs> Cool uh, Oysterhead Les Claypool Stuart Copeland And one of the members of Fish Which is pretty fucking eclectic I don't know them at all uh, Can Eat Dave I'm sure you fucking listened to a bit of Can Eat in your time Yeah, absolute doom drone stuff. Stephen O'Malley from Sun, guys from Old and Blind Idiot God. Pretty good. Burnham, Burnham much, yeah. Zwan. God, no. No, let's just pass over that. 
Um, here's a good one. Colonel Claypool's bucket of Bernie brains. Yeah, now this one intrigues me. So this is Les Claypool, Buckethead, I mean already, Bernie Worrell from fucking Parliament Funkadelic, Funkadelic and also, you know, Talking Heads and stuff like that. And then you've got Brian Mantia who... You know, has played you know drums for just about everybody. You know, Primus, Guns N' Roses, Godflesh, Tom Waits. And the people came to know him as a man of noble cause, ignoring eccentricities and interactive flaws. The ones that knew him best. I mean, I've never heard that, but I mean, it must be mad. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, boxcar racer. It was the, the emo actually, songs from Blink, basically. Yeah, that album's actually a lot bad. Like um, Tom DeLonge took a lot, of, a lot of influence for Fugazi for it. It doesn't really sound that much like Fugazi, but it's way more emo than Blink was. A couple of good songs on it. Again, Blink-22 at the height of their fame. Really no need for it to exist. But it just happened anyway. Uh, one that I'm surprised I've never heard, Ataxia, which is Joe Lally from Fugazi and John Frusciante from Red Hot Chili Peppers. Oh, it's also got uh, jo- Josh Klinghoffer from who you would then go on to replace John Frusciante and Red Hot Chili Peppers. They've done one album, uh, Automatic Writing, and it was really, really good, man. really recommend listening to it. Okay, cool. curious. Uh, Mad Villain. Uh, I mean, Supergroup, right? <laughs> yeah, about a project that stands up on its own, and it's just a—it's more of a collab than a Mad Lib and Supergroup. MF Doom. Yeah, covered in at length in our podcast about that exact thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've written here just to ask Mark: uh, Sounds of Animals Fighting. I almost picked the first album, Tiger and the Duke. <laughs> <laughs> what is it? Uh, so basically, this guy Rich Balling from Ar- that a band, the like emo pop punk band called RX Bandits, decided they wanted to do like a progress, a sort of proggy, art rocky experimental thing. just asked all of his pals to come in and collaborate so like he's like the guy that produced it and he wrote most of the songs but it brought in people from Finch and from Circa Survive and loads of like mid 2000s like big emo cunts. Uh, the least three albums only ever played four shows all the four shows had different lineups apart from the, the rotating singers they all played under masks to try and keep it anonymous um, even though everybody knew who they were really interesting concept man the first album is really quite interesting I don't really know what... I mean, it's not Desperation because they were all really famous. Some of them were really famous at the time. Like Finch, the guy in Finch, for example. Finch was huge then. Um, probably Billy Big Boss. I reckon it's Rich Balling doing Billy Big Boss in that scene. I, reckon, I, I <laughs> think that's what that is. Okay, some weird ones. The Police and the guy Mike Howlett from Gong did Strontium 90. I've never heard of it, but it sounds whack. Uh, Shrine Builder. Do 
particularly good band uh, Wino from The Obsessed Dale Crover Scott Kelly from Neurosis Member of Sleep uh, What are our thoughts on Probot? Nah uh, It's like a Successful? Uh, it's got some half decent tunes on it if you're into metal but it's more of a fun thing you know it's not mm. It's not to be taken seriously no. it's just not like really. a it's just a thing What are our thoughts on them Crooked Vultures? Whatever. It's fine. I actually decent was very surprised by how well that turned out. I expected the worst, especially given that Queens of Stone Age have deteriorated so badly. And that was better than most of the Queens of Stone Age stuff yeah. around the same time. Uh, Tomahawk, we have done a full episode on. I think mm-hmm. they're fucking absolutely brilliant, although not without their moments of stupidity. All Pigs Must Die, we also re- recently did a me- an episode on, and I would say they are definitely a group as opposed to a super group because even though some of their individual projects outshine I don't think they're so famous they're certainly not household names yeah. uh, likewise Mutoid Man um, Last Shadow Puppets the Arctic Monkeys semi mobile disco thing I'm not familiar with it but I know that some folk seem to really rate it to lead it into your companions enlighten them to make you see and there's a to rent the age of the understatement they had a really big when they first came together. They had a huge single, didn't they? Mm-hmm. I can't remember the name of it, but there was a, they were huge. They were on the radio all the time. Yeah, uh, uh, a band called I'm guessing it's pronounced Ultimas, but it starts with a V, and it's members of Mayhem, Cryptopsy, Terrorizer, and Morbid Angel. I thought Dave would sh- surely have this. I've not actually heard it. I mean, only the finest metal finds it w- its way to me. So, <laughs> uh, and at the, well, at the opposite end of that spectrum, I've got Apparatchik, which is a far more interesting name than I'm sure the band Coldplay, Mew, and Aha. Oof. Fucking check that out. Yeah. Uh, who else do we have? United Nations. Mark, I know you're a fan. Yeah. Uh, Dave almost picked their album, the first album. Uh, I know it was their second album. The second one, the the first, the next five years. Yeah. Um, yeah. The great fucking band. <laughs> really good band. <laughs> And the only who has one known member, and that's Jeff Bickley from Thursday, the others contractually obliged to not talk about who they are. <laughs> but they so are probably Daryl Palumbo from Ben Collar, Glassjaw, uh, Ben Collar from, from the Red Cords, um, yeah. and a whole Few other folk. bunch. Yeah. So. So they're a unicorn. They're they really do work. It's a band it, really all these musicians, yep. apart from yep. Ben Collar, yeah, are not definitely. people you would ever imagine doing grindcore, and yet here we are. <laughs> How well do you imagine that WTF question mark works? What the fuck? Featuring Tommy Lee, Dead Mouse, and Steve Duda. I mean, absolute unicorn legends. That's got to be class, hasn't it? 
Uh, Dave, have you listened to Of Hell, Demu Borgir and Gorgoroth's band? Uh, it's all it's fine it's nothing stand out yeah okay uh, another interesting one one that I've not heard but I'm going to try and find actually Dr. Midnight in the Mercy Cult you want a piece of me on my philosophy anyone heard of these guys the names no. familiar Members of Turbo Negro, KMFDM, Satyricon, Celtic, eh, Celtic Frost, Celtic Frost, <laughs> and Covenant. Is that good? Tim Skold in it from KF, KMFDM. I can't remember off the top of my head, but I think so. That'd be quite cool. Uh, not heard it, but I was very intrigued. Uh, Black Hippie, Kendrick Lamar, J Rock, and Absol. Mark. I don't think anything's come out of that yet. That's just. Oh like really? A, yeah. Is that mooted? I would say that automatically makes it a fucking category C. Then if it's been teased and it's not actually produced, then and uh, okay, and a few McBusted, Boys Life, and uh, N K O T B S B, fucking tragic, <laughs> horrible past it shit, and yeah, and then I guess a couple to finish. The Teenage Time Killers, which seems to feature everybody in the fucking world. Have you guys seen this? Yeah, yeah but I've, I'd never heard of them. Never yeah, heard of this. Me neither. Me neither. How the fuck has this thing happened? But it's, it's got, got fucking. Every... It's the guy from My Ruin. Um, <laughs> fucking My Ruin. My Ruin. <laughs> terrible band. Um, and then somehow he's got like Corey Taylor from Slipknot, Dave Grohl, Jello Biafra, Matt Skiba, you know, fucking Nick Oliveri. So many people uh, turning you know, up on you, this one record, and yeah. you, know, you know what that says to me? That says to me that the guy from my ruin works as like an Apple genius, and he's been scanning <laughs> people's hard, he's been scanning hard drives, and he's found some compromising material. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's probably true. <laughs> And the FFS, for fuck's sake, Franz Ferdinand and Sparks. Actually, uh, that album was actually pretty decent. Um, was it? Yeah, I, never I mean, I really, I really like Sparks. Um, Franz Ferdinand are fine, but I would, I would say that album is not quite as good as a Sparks album but probably better than a Franz Ferdinand album (laughs) (laughs) Uh, No Devotion let's just give them one more shout out The Lost Prophets minus the pedo hopefully minus the pedo with with, uh, Jeff Rickley kind of new wavy it's not my jam do they have a chance in hell? I think there's a desperation factor there for certain... For certain members, yeah. <laughs> and you know what? There's actually desperation on Jeff Rickley's part as well because I remember in an interview at the time him saying that he he, he felt bad about the fact that they couldn't make music anymore because their singer was a pedo. <laughs> so they like to try and start an odd band with them. Yeah, so it's pity on his part and <laughs> yeah, desperation on their part. 
And let, let's go out strong, guys. The Hollywood Vampires. Alice Cooper, Johnny Depp, Joe Perry from Aerosmith and Perry Farrell from uh, Jane's Addiction. The least of the East gave poison his treats to the innocent priest all along with his tweets recycled from the pageantry of forever creeps gallantry who what do we think of that? Who the fuck needs this band to exist? This this falls into <laughs> they do. this falls into the same category as shit like fucking Chicken Foot and Black Country Communion, but it's like really well known musicians who are just fucking around for no reason. Yeah, this, this isn't like a hangover. This is like a let's keep doing the oh, I mean a fuck off. <laughs> like this is how, pure how- ego. Who goes to see Hollywood Vampires? Well, do you know what? I've seen lots of Hollywood Vampires t-shirts around Glasgow. People go and see them and people buy t-shirts. And I guess it's just because they want to see... I mean, does Johnny Depp actually play with them? I don't know. I don't know. Does does he he too? Yeah, Yeah. 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 he does. uh So it's just cunts that want to go and see Johnny Depp in the flesh or, you know, Alice Cooper. But like... I just... I mean... It's just so... It's the most LA thing on earth. It is. That's it. That's exactly it. It's so LA. It's so fucking smoothies, golf, yoga on the beach in my, you know, $8 million condo. Let's start a fucking stupid rock band. And I can't tell if the fact that they called it Hollywood Vampires, which has a sort of derogatory connotation to it, is partly knowing on their part or they're totally oblivious to how tr- yeah. that actually is. I, I don't know. It's named after uh, a drinking... I think it's named after a drinking group in Hollywood. Yeah, a bunch of guys that died young as well. It was like yeah. Keith Moon and folk like that. Yeah. Well, what a way to finish... A list, and by the way, that is obviously not an exhaustive list. Yeah. There are loads that even just there that we had to miss out because that could just go and go. But uh, those are some of the highlights and lowlights of the supergroup scene, and hopefully we've helped parse them a little bit. You know who actually is super, who tried to be super, whose management desperately wants to be super. <laughs> so yeah, next episode. We are each going to take an album and make a case for it as an unsung supergroup record. And I'd say they're all fairly diverse as well. Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah, we have ended up at a good place. Will we, will we tease the audience with them? Uh, my choice is the director's cut by Phantomas. My yeah. choice is Down, Nola. My choice is Take a Break by me first in the Gimme Gimmies. There you go. So join us next episode. We'll pick these apart and... Yeah, I hope that helped you. I'm sure we all have known about supergroups, but never really bothered to sit and waste our time analysing <laughs> what the fuck is this? Yeah. Uh, and we've done it for you. We have wasted maybe an hour and 20 minutes, but trust me, we wasted multiples of that this week <laughs> preparing. So uh, you're welcome, and we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.